SaaS people to the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution, courtesy of Sascribe Media. I'm your host, Alex Humer, and uh, really pleased to be joined today uh, by uh, Jay Gibb, who is the CEO and cl- uh, founder of CloudSponge. Welcome, Jay. Thanks for having me. You know, it's a real pleasure. Now, um, Jay, you, uh, you reached out to me um, uh, regarding to you know coming on uh, as a guest of the uh, the podcast uh, uh, as a listener, and um, yeah, you know, I think you, you delivered a really good email, uh, and you know, made me sort of really interested to to have you on uh, as a guest, and we'll get into that in a little bit as why. So, I think you know, as we said just uh, sort of earlier today, you know, kudos uh, for that. But uh, you know, um, can you tell perhaps uh, you know some of the listeners more about uh, Cloud Sponge, you know, what does it do? How are you funded? You know, when when did you start? You know, what stage are you at? Sure. <clears throat> yeah, the, the simple way is to, to say it is that Cloud Sponge helps companies with user acquisition, specifically focusing on the email referral channel. Mm-hmm. So our clients, uh, you know, have an email referral channel. They need help making sure that, that more people get through that channel. And those, those who do get through invite more of their friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have, uh, we have a self-service product that, that companies can subscribe to uh, if they want to do the, you know, the integration and the, the split testing and the you know, analytics and reporting and iterations and all that stuff themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also have a full-service consulting relationship that, that we can engage in. Uh, for companies that would rather have have us handle all those things and be accountable for the results. Mm-hmm. Okay, and are you, are you a startup? Uh, you know, actually, I don't really know what the definition of that word is anymore. Yeah. I think I, I think of us as a startup. Yeah, I think uh, there are lots of companies that are, you know, much much bigger than we are in every metric uh, mm-hmm. that still call themselves a startup. So I think we, we're certainly a startup. That's the way I think about it anyway. When, when, was, um, when was CloudSponge formed? Technically 2009. Uh, we did a couple pivots since then, but we're, uh, yeah, we've been, we've been a company as you know, an entity since 2009 and working on, working on getting better at solving this problem for about six years now. Okay. And, and how are you funded? Are you, are you bootstrapped? Have you taken VC money? Uh, neither of those. It's kind of in between. Uh, the Cloud Sponge is a. It's very similar to like a Thirty-seven Signal story, where you know th- Basecamp and Campfire and those products came out of the Thirty-seven Signals agency. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, Cloud Sponge is is a, a, a byproduct or a product of uh, my my agency with my partner called Arizona Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that company's been around for about 15 years, and, and we've done all kinds of projects for all kinds of clients over that time. And um, you know, we at one point in 2007, I believe, you know, we we decided we were gonna we we're gonna m- make an effort at investing our our profits or our in- income from the agency into our own internal projects. And uh, and CloudSponge is one of those projects. So I'm not I'm not sure if that's that fits one of the two uh, two options you gave me there. Yeah, probably uh, I guess kind of near near the uh, the bootstrapping uh, side of things, right? But um, it's, yeah. good to, it's good to know. So we we've got this picture of you know who CloudSponge is, and uh, um, and, and I guess you know getting a picture of uh, of you as a, a founder. Are you so do you. Uh, uh, you know, do you have a co-founder as well? You mentioned your partner in Arizona Bay, so uh, you have a co-founder of um, CloudSponge as well. 
Yeah, that's right. So, so Arizona Bay is, is two of us, um, and uh, and about I think right now we're at about twenty five developers who work for Arizona Bay, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's the that's the team that that's that backs Cloud Sponge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, my my partner and I are are co founders. Okay, awesome. And yeah. uh, I think you know one of the interesting things that you, you know before we were discussing um, uh, you, you know the, the podcast and uh, uh, is around that you you are an engineer uh, I guess or you know you know a technical uh, sort of founder and you know I guess um, or you know maybe you confirm that your your commercial and business acumen has you know come about by uh, I guess you know founding this company and being a CEO uh, right is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, before before I started really, <clears throat> you know, working on the on the Cloud Sponge product and and the other the other things that the the agency funded, uh, you know, at that time, I consider myself, you know, an engineer, a developer, product designer um, for the most part. And and so over the last five or six years, I've I've developed that that business acumen, as you put it. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and, and it seems, and you know, from from our discussions that you know, engineering. Uh, itself has been a real sort of cornerstone of the business in terms of you know driving company uh, growth and I, I guess you, you know is that because you know you're you're an engineer sort of yourself and so you're you're playing to your strengths um, would you would, would you say that's kind of one of the reasons that uh, engineering's been so important throughout the you know the cross uh, uh, organisations within the company I think so I mean it's the it's my comfort zone for sure it's where it's what I fall back on. Uh, and I'm mostly surrounded by by engineers or, mm-hmm. or by highly highly technical individuals, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. Also, CloudSponge uh, initially, when it when it you know for the first couple of years, uh, it was from a marketing positioning perspective, we're very much targeting engineers, mm-hmm. um, and so that was that was part of the the whole learning experience of business acumen that we just mentioned. But, but yeah, we were kind of by engineers, for engineers uh, kind of mentality. Uh, we were solving a problem that engineers had uh, for the most part. Uh, and now, you know, we, we've started to reposition a little bit, but for the most part, we do still have uh, a very large uh, segment of, our, of people that are interested in our product are, you know, are people that are searching for a technical solution to problems they're solving. Okay, so let, let's dive into that uh, a, a little bit sort of deeper then, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, how, you know, engineering has been so important for, uh, for you and, you know, for, for driving company growth, you know, to, to date. So if we look at, um, you know, marketing, you know, for instance, um, you know, uh, a, a really sort of a important uh, area of, you know, any startups uh, sort of business. Now, I think... Um, uh, you mentioned that you, you guys have been sort of uh, initially uh, sort of successful, got a lot of your first traction through developer-first marketing. So, you know, can you tell me um, a little bit more about that? You know, what is developer-first marketing and, you know, where did you go to uh, to do this, uh, you know, type of marketing and, you know, what were the results? Sure. <clears throat> yeah, it was really part of our initial, our initial traction, like, you know, our first... You know, going from zero to to a hundred customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we're kind of just staying in our comfort zone, which which was was very engineering, and uh, we were uh, we were solving a problem that we knew about. And as as we were, you know, working through, you know, that solution, 
we just noticed that there was tons, there are tons and tons of other developers who are asking the same questions that we had on Stack Overflow, mm -hmm. uh, primarily. But you know, also like in other developer forums, you know, in specific places like Google forums and Yahoo forums and other places like that. Mm -hmm. But Stack Overflow was kind of the the whale. Uh, and then, you know, the more business-oriented people, sort of the quasi-technical or, you know, marketing and sales and, and, and product management people were, were asking similar questions in a non-technical way on Quora. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were lots of, uh, you know, open source GitHub projects and things like that to participate in. And so we basically just, you know, got involved. We, we, we spent our time um, answering questions. Um, and whenever it wasn't too shameless, we would mention what we were working on. You know, we would mention CloudSponge if it was actually the answer to the question. But that wasn't always the case. Sometimes, sometimes somebody just needed some help, and we knew the answer, and we could answer, you know, answer their question with a, you know, with a CloudSponge email address that they might see if they looked, uh, not actually explicitly mentioning the product. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, over the course of six months or a year. We ended up answering, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of questions on those platforms mm -hmm. uh, for people, and that that really drove uh, all of our initial traction and our initial um, our initial customers came to us through that channel. And and, and that was a, a deliberate strategy in terms of you 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 know you you had the understanding that you know if you went to Stack Overflow and if you went to Quora as well, perhaps on a daily basis, and you know took part within. Those communities that that you felt that this would be, you know, uh, uh, well, you know, one of the, the channels to to sort of really uh, drive growth for the company. Yeah, totally deliberate. I mean, we used their notification systems to make sure that we knew whenever somebody asked a question that had our keywords in it, mm -hmm. and we had like Google Alerts and, and other alerting systems set up so that you know anytime somebody was was talking about these topics, uh, we were aware of it and, and and you know alerted to it to go and, and get get involved. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and and did you? I mean, did you experiment with lots of different channels? Um, you know, of marketing. I think we both read. Um, it was uh, Gabriel Weisenberg's uh, Bullseye uh, book, uh, Bullseye, right? About uh, uh, getting that initial traction as a, a as a startup, and you know, I think he lists something like you know seventeen or eighteen different marketing channels. But you know, what you should really do is uh, try and focus on uh, well, find that bullseye, right? Find the one that really works for you, and then have a, a couple to back that up. So, did you? Did you look at you know seventeen different sort of channels, or, or did you kind of like stumble upon or, or more educated sort of guess that okay you know these developer communities is, is what's really going to work for us and, and and just go with that? Yeah, no, I, I mean Gabriel Weinberg's book and his traction or his bullseye process is something that. It's it's newer than this. Like you know, we did we didn't have the luxury of having that book at the time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know now when I read it, I I'm able to fill in a bunch of blanks and be like, oh yeah, cool, we did that, we did that. Those are things that you know he's he's sort of sh sh sort of reverse explaining what what we were able to do. And in our case, we didn't have the expression engineering is marketing. Mm. Uh, that was one of his one of his nineteen chapters as engineers marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the other things, you know, we did a few experiments accidentally in those things, but not nearly in in like a nice organized uh, analytical deliberate way like he suggests. 
Um, but engineering as marketing was clearly something that was going to work for us. Mm -hmm. It was really obvious that it would work. Uh, in our case, that meant building, you know, plugins and extensions mm -hmm. and add-ons for platforms like WordPress and Heroku and and things like that. And there, there's a guy at New Relic. Uh, his name is uh, Cooper Marcus. Uh, he's a really, really helpful guy. He's got got lots of resources out there uh, where he's shared publicly sort of his his playbook for you know a, a big long list of places where you can build extensions and plugins and add-ons for products like ours. So, so we were able to to just use our engineering staff uh, to you know rather you know basically rather than having everybody always working on our product, we we allocated some time for them to go out and build marketing assets in these places and and build add-ons and plugins and so on and and each of those things pays dividends forever basically you, you know you, you put in a little bit of effort maybe a week or two or sometimes a couple months of effort for something as as intense as Heroku and uh, you know those assets just keep paying dividends forever and ever and, and you know you just start to start to build up a, a, a really big base of, of incoming inbound leads from from all these different um, you know sources have, have you got um, you, you know any kind of examples of the top of your head in terms of you, like data points from okay we we made this plugin or this chrome extension and you know this brought us you know this many you know new customers or, or, or whatever the data point is is there anything you, you know from a, a case study kind of example that you could share yeah sure so i'll actually share one that um it wasn't actually my team that built this particular one it was like a volunteer from our community mm -hmm. uh, but it's still the basic, same basic concept uh, there's so for wordpress anybody who's using wordpress to build a product that's like a social network mm -hmm. is probably using a, a wordpress plugin called buddypress mm -hmm. yep and for BuddyPress, there's a plugin. It's kind of like uh, two degrees of separation from WordPress. There's a plugin called Invite Anyone, and uh, and that that plugin, when you install it, you're able to uh, in the administration panel, you're able to you know paste a CloudSponge license key if you want to enable the ability to you know let your users upload their address book to sort of the same way that you can do it with LinkedIn and Facebook and these other bigger social networks if you want to have a feature where you can let people upload an address book to connect with all their friends who are already there and send invitations to their friends who aren't already there then you know that's you know that's how you would do it with BuddyPress and you know that was that was a piece of software that was built by the manager or the, the guy who owns the, the invite anyone plugin years and years ago I think I don't even know now maybe four years ago it was pretty early on for us and that thing still drives like a meaningful amount of traffic to us all the time I don't I don't actually have stats and metrics in my fingertips for you uh, but it suffices to say that you know it, it it's it's it, it moves the needle for us still to, to, to this day okay awesome awesome and um, what what else from you know the, the marketing side? I mean, you, you know, let's say you know within the developer community. So you've got the the online developer community that you know in Stack Overflow and uh, you know GitHub and, uh, and and so on and so forth. Uh, what about sort of offline? You know, have CloudSponge kind of utilized you know things like hackathons or or you know has anything like that been a benefit to uh, to you? Not yet, you know. That's not not to uh, not to get 
not give Gabriel Weinberg too much press here, yeah. but uh, you know, I recently read his book a second time, and he's really inspired us to do some experimentation that's a little bit out of our comfort zone and mm-hmm. into stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, coming up uh, shortly, I think it's November thirteenth uh, to fifteenth. There's a startup weekend uh, here in Pasadena where I work out of, mm-hmm. and we're we're going to sponsor that startup weekend. It's our first experiment with an offline um, offline sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's we're really we're just kind of following the the bullseye playbook here, and we're gonna you know do a, do an experiment that costs less than a thousand bucks and takes less than a month, and and measure it and see if that's something we should be doing more of. Um, so we don't we haven't done a lot of offline stuff, but we're definitely open to to trying some new things. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, a couple of points on that. One, I mean, it, it's uh, it's a great book, right? I think I only recently. Uh, sort of read it, uh, you know, myself, and um, you, you know, so it, it, I think it's a good resource for for any uh, founder sort of listening that hasn't sort of read it yet. And uh, you know, in terms of this experimentation, um, you know, you know, I think uh, th- there's a lot of good things uh, around that. And if you look at just thinking about the doing the offline stuff, and uh, and in your case for CloudSponge, you know, experimenting on that. I mean. You know, if you look at Twilio, for example, um, you, you know, who's obviously, you know, developer community is very important for them. You know, they do a lot of these uh, these type of offline events and hackathons and, you know, have their own hackathons. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully uh, I'll be interested to see actually, um, you know, how the experiment has, uh, you know, worked out f- uh, for you. So, uh, you know, please follow up with me on, uh, uh, on that and let me know. Um, sure, yeah, I will. If, an, if any of your listeners have a... A hackathon or something you want me to check out? Hit me up. I'm happy to talk about it. Okay. I definitely want to try some more experimentation like that. Awesome, awesome. And and now let's move on to like sales, for instance. So, um, when did you hire your, your your first sales guy, or you know, how many how many salespeople have you got at the moment? So we haven't. We don't. We don't have okay. a, a, like a formal sales team or sales guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know my CTO and I handle. The sales ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so still founder led uh, sales, and then and you're yep. both technical. Um, uh, yep. And so, how are you? How are you sort of utilizing your your technical skills? How are you utilizing you know your your engineering to to drive sales, or how how have you been? Yeah, there's so there's a few things there. One of the things that's that's become very important is you know we're we're dealing with sensitive data. Mm-hmm. People's address books are very private and they care about them and 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 companies that are considering using like a, a product like CloudSponge, they care a lot about our processes and our security practices and our infrastructure and the way that we handle this data. Uh, and so we we have to get involved in those sales conversations in a, in a really deep technical way. Um, any any of the companies as, as we move up market and we attract you know more sophisticated groups, uh, there hasn't been one sales call yet that where there wasn't a security person on the call. Um, they care uh, and as they should, and so uh, we we really get deep. I mean, it, the the value proposition of CloudSponge is really easy to explain, and and we don't spend a lot of time helping people understand why they should buy it or why they should use it. We spend probably 80% of our time on those calls uh, under the microscope answering questions about, you know, our, our, our security patching and our infrastructure and, uh, you know, going through legal uh, to, to make sure that, that everybody's covered as far as liability is concerned. 
And so it's, uh, it's really, it, it, they end up being very technical calls where CTOs and CSOs or security, security staff are, you know, grilling us uh, the whole time. Okay, okay. And, and what about, um, you know, if we uh, sort of move to like the rest of the organization, you know, through uh, how engineering has you know, helped you, it's perhaps more so obvious on products, but, you know, on, on support and operations and, and so on, have you got some sort of clear examples uh, on, on that and, the, you know, the benefits that it's had, uh, you know, to the company? Yeah, you know, we do it in all those places, and I, I think really the <clears throat> the clear way to to think about it in in my world anyway is removing layers of abstraction between the customer and the people that are actually developing the product. If if at all possible, is is a really healthy thing to do. I found, mm -hmm. uh, and so a couple places where where that manifests itself in the cloud sponge context is customer support and product design mm -hmm. which are both they're very connected when you think about it from a customer development perspective mm -hmm. but we don't we don't have layers of abstraction we don't have like a like a, a support guy that's sort of handling support and escalating to development and being a proxy between our customers and our developers Everybody who's touch touches our code base also communicates with our customers, uh, and that's very deliberate. That's by design. Uh, some of these guys aren't necessarily comfortable with that, or they they weren't uh, when that began or when we started doing that. But I, you know, I basically just created accounts in our intercom. We use intercom for mo all of our customer communication, mm -hmm. and so I, I created accounts in intercom for our developers. And uh, you know, I I was whenever I can, a lot of times I'm traveling busy so I can't, but whenever possible, I man like the frontline support. So I'm the guy who's, who's answering as many questions as possible and deflecting for the team yeah. and, and delegating accordingly. But I'll delegate to anybody. I'll delegate to, to any developer in the whole team and, and, and basically make them own a conversation with uh, one of our customers or one of our, our would-be customers who's kicking the tires, especially if the, it's a customer who's reporting a bug and so, you know, a lot of a lot of companies will have a process where the customer will, will report a bug, and then we'll try to recreate it and insert a bug into a GitHub issues, and kind of go through a whole bunch of layers of abstraction before a developer actually sees it. In this case, I just remove all of that, and I just give that customer straight to a developer who's going to fix that bug. And it it gets it takes away a lot of um, a lot of inefficiency, and it actually is a good culture builder. Mm -hmm. It's a good it's a good way to get these guys really owning the customer's problem and feeling accountable to solving it. And they'll push their own like pull requests through and that, like they don't have to necessarily uh worry about uh you know the the the, the development life cycle and the process when it's really a customer that they've promised they're going to fix something like they really want to take ownership for that and they get it out there and they make sure it works and they re recreate that bug and and even though they're m much more expensive than you know uh what I could pay for a for a you know a low cost uh somebody to to man like a support channel yeah. Uh, I find that it just it pays off in terms of efficiency and culture building in, in a way that it, you know it's 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 obviously worthwhile. Okay, awesome. But what yeah. are, are the um, you know what are the trade-offs for uh, you know this being a developer-run, engineering-run company? Um, 
you know, are, are there any? But if so, what, what are they? Yeah, I mean, there certainly are, and I'm sure I'm sure anybody listening will, will are, they're already thinking about them. But one of them I just mentioned. I mean, developers are expensive, mm. right? They're 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 two or three times more expensive than than a lot of the the kinds of people you can you can have for doing some of these things, especially in in the Bay Area and in, in the California. Mm. Uh, and I like I said just now, like I just think I think it pays off in terms of removing all the inefficiencies. Um, the other thing that's really you have to manage really carefully if you try this is um, context switching. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So developers, you know, everybody knows that it takes a certain amount of time to get in and out into flow, and then when you break that flow, you know, you're you're creating all this overhead for somebody, uh, and and that's a real thing. And so, really, you know, it makes sense to create some kind of a safe. You know, time box period for for developers to to get out of whatever product problem or product development they're working on uh, into other things like you know a, <clears throat> like a like a marketing thing, getting out on Stack Overflow or or getting involved in a sales call or doing some support. Um, so you know, you got to kind of do those things in a in a really organized way and make sure that that the their primary job function is their priority, uh, and you don't want to. Sort of be spontaneous with them, <clears throat> but so that's one of the one of the trade offs. But there's there's definitely ways to to manage that and, and make it make it a pretty minor trade off, I think. Okay, okay, awesome. Now we we we've got probably time for for two more questions. Um, in your answer to the last question or the the, the one before last, uh, you mentioned using Intercom in uh, customer support. Um, so I'm sort of interested to know, I guess, kind of across the organization and this, you know, uh, engineering. Sort of run, uh, you know, company. Um, you know, what are the SaaS tools that you use for sales and marketing? And you, know, you mentioned customer support, but you know, can you give me some insight uh, into that if you're happy to share? Yeah, sure. Uh, <clears throat> so for for outreach, like things that aren't just internal tools, mm-hmm. um, GitHub and and Gists are huge. Mm-hmm. We use them a lot. So we, we get into a lot of code bases out there, a lot of open source stuff, and we write a lot of code for our customers and, and create big libraries of gists. And you know, we have <clears throat> public public uh, API wrappers written in all the popular programming languages out on GitHub. And so that you know, that's probably it's it's also a great marketing channel for us since we have a lot of developers who want to use our product. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a big one. Um, you know, Slack is huge for us. I'm actually considering an experiment similar to to the one that you just started. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I'll let you talk about it if you want to. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, go for it. <laughs> no, uh, thinking, I'm thinking about an experiment of of using uh, a Slack channel uh, publicly and making one that's not just an internal one for our team. Yeah. Uh, so that our customers can can sort of cross pollinate and talk to each other, and, and we can get involved in in sort of a more of a community atmosphere. Yeah, I, <clears throat> so. I think I think that's a good idea, and I. Th- I, I I obviously, um, you, you know, started a, uh, as you know, a, a, as you're on it, a, a Slack channel for for SaaS founders, and I think now more, more and more, I see that um, these public channels are, are being created. And even I was uh, having a conversation with somebody this week uh, at Web Summit um, who may be a potential, uh, uh, or I'm going to be a potential customer of his um, in the future for a, an events platform. Um, and I think you know they have a, a Slack channel, which uh, I think potentially you know all their customers 
um, you know, will be able to go on and you know create this kind of community. And I, I think it's a really good idea. More people will be doing it. So I'll be interested to see uh, you know um, you know how it works for for you as well. Yeah, well, maybe one of these days I'll <clears throat> I'll interview you and you can yeah. uh, you can you can teach me how to do it because because I haven't I haven't tried it yet so yeah. I, I have a lot to learn. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, what what else? Um, uh, so you mentioned Slack there. Uh, any other tools uh, of, of note? Oh man, I am addicted to Zapier. Okay. Zapier is just so powerful, <clears throat> so interesting. And so my, my favorite tools nowadays are Segment and Zapier, I think, and mm -hmm. well, Slack and Intercom. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Segment is really great for me because it allowed me to, once we had the Segment snippet installed in the site, it allows me just to experiment and, and turn on and off other SaaS tools and see if I like them. So, you know, I use it to do a bake-off between Kissmetrics and Mixpanel, for example. It was really easy to do that without, without any extra work by the developers. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we use it to, to try out like Crazy Egg and InspectLit and all these other tools. And then uh, when those tools don't really do exactly what I want them to do, I can usually find a way to use Zapier to, to get, <clears throat> you know, get things working together, uh, you know, cobbling things together in a way that's interesting for us or be able to be able to pipe, you know, notifications from different tools into our different Slack channels and so on. And so I would say, like anybody who's starting out now and they're wondering what tools, I you know definitely start with, with Segment and Slack and Zapier and just with those three guys, uh, you can kind of you can kind of do everything from there because you're able to to branch out in a, in a really organic way without feeling like there's this huge barrier to entry to trying out new products and, and getting them to, to work in your in your in your company. Awesome, yeah, really, really good advice there. And uh, actually, I may may even do that myself. I haven't really used Segment or Zapier that much, so I, I perhaps need to <laughs> to look into that because it's uh, it does sound sort of uh, super useful. Um, so uh, we're just coming into the last question now, uh, Jay, and uh, this is one that I'm asking uh, everybody at the end uh, now, and uh, so it'll be interesting to get your answer. So uh, the question is, you know, what has been the the secret to your success to date? Wow, uh, that's a good question. Um, kind of putting me on the spot. Yeah. You know, I think I'll just use <clears throat> I'll use what other people tell me about myself mm -hmm. uh, as an answer. Uh, just just because that clearly something that I'm putting out there is, is patience. Okay. I'm, I'm a really patient guy, um, and and sometimes sometimes it takes patience. I think to to make good decisions, and you know, I I, I find. A lot of people that I work with, you know, are are in a big rush to 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 make a bunch of money or to grow really big or to you know to do whatever it is they're doing, uh, and and sometimes being in a big rush is just a bad call. Mm. Bottom line, mm. uh, and so I'm I've been told by lots of people that I'm that I'm an exceptionally patient person, uh, and and maybe to a fault. Um, but as far as uh, the things that I, I consider my, my successes, everything from my relationship with my wife to the successes I've had with, uh, with my business are all, all things that, that required uh, a ton of patience. And so uh, uh, I would say I'd put it on that. Anybody who feels like they're not a patient enough person should give it a shot. Awesome. Well, I may have put you on a spot, but I think that's a great answer. And uh, what's really interesting is that I probably only asked the question four times 
today, but everybody's given me a different answer so far. So, you know, it's either hard work, it's either teams or, or patience, or uh, I can't remember the other one, but, uh, but it, it's, uh, it's really good and interesting to hear. And um, I guess, you know, for other founders to kind of listen and see what's working and what people, you know, believe is, you know, perhaps one of the, the key things that's uh, been super important for people. So, um, so thanks for that, Jay. I think we come to the end of the show, um, you know, stoked to uh, have had you on. And I think, you know, um, it's really been uh, insightful and resourceful. Um, so, yeah, so thank you uh, so much for being on the SaaS Revolution Show. Thank you for having me. It was great. No, you're welcome. And, and for those that are listening, uh, if you liked uh, uh, this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, we'd really appreciate if you uh, rate and reviewed us uh, on, on iTunes. And uh, we'll speak to you next time.